Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Aww. Welcome, everyone. Yes, welcome, everyone, to the VO Booth Besties. We're here to help working voice actors get your most imp- important questions answered by industry pros who know. Uh, each week, we have a new topic and a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. To stay updated on all things VOBB, you can swing by our website, boothbesties.com, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. And join us on the VO Booth Besties Facebook group as well. It's super fun. Uh, Now, without further ado, let's meet our guest. Over to you, JT. Tim Powers is a seasoned voice actor lending his voice to a diverse range of projects, including video games, anime, commercials, medical narration, and more. His video game credits include Genshin Impact, Exo Primal from Capcom, and the Final Fantasy series of games. His commercial clients include Hiram Walker, Nectar Mattress, and Square, as well as many other regional commercials in the U.S. and Canada. He has also provided voice acting for Dateline NBC, Disney, Netflix, the St. Louis Zoo, and countless others. In addition to voice acting, Powers is also an in-demand voice acting teacher and coach. His approachable personality, combined with his passion for his craft and his encouraging personal nature, keeps his students engaged and evolving as Powers guides them through the fundamentals and advanced techniques of his art. Powers has also developed Timprov, an improvisational theater workshop for voice actors to stretch their imaginations and enhance their spontaneity. Tim brings a sense of play to a very serious art. Many of Powers' students have found Timprov to be one of the most important pieces of their development as a new actor. That's why we're here today. Back to you, NJ. All right. Hi, Tim. Hi. It is. Uh, I, I, I am so glad to be back with you guys because I am such fans. Um, I loved last week's episode, right, with the behind the scenes with the talent agent or uh, with the casting director. And so, uh, so insightful. So good. What you guys are doing is great. And I am I am honored to to. Hey. Today, so thank you. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna say. You have been a guestie before, but today you're like the bestie today. You get to be, yeah, the the focus of our interview. So yes, so we will get into the questions. That's one of the things that I'm sure you appreciate, what you just mentioned, and what a lot of our audience appreciates is we really try to answer questions um and not be too much of a story podcast. But before we begin. You kind of do one of everything, like me. Um, so I'm curious, synopsis of getting into voiceover, because I know you've done a lot of different parts of acting. So can you kind yes. of give us a, the, the abridged yeah. version? I am not a theater kid. Like, I was not the kid. I was not the actor really? in high school. I was not a theater major in college. Uh, in fact, I thought the kids who were in theater were dorks. Um, I wasn't a jock, right? But I, but, uh, I just, I really, all I cared about in school was, uh, was chicks and rock and roll. Let's be honest. Um, and what I wanted to do more than anything, cause I, my, the story is my voice changed when I was about nine. So I have had this voice since I was a fourth grader. Right. And what do people say to little boys with big man voices? Oh my God, you should go into radio. Right. And so this is the early 80s. WKRP is on the air. Howard Hessman is an idol of mine. He is uh, he is my Fonzie. He is whatever. Right. And it just looked like so much fun. So then I started going up and down the dial in my hometown and listening to these guys. And I'm like, wait a minute. I get to play records. I get to make jokes and I get to be a little bit of kind of a smarty pants and I get paid for it. This is for me. So I made that career choice at like 12. Wow. Really? Right? Yeah. And so, um, and like, I was horrible to my speech teacher in high school. My, you know, I had a little, uh, I had to take an acting class in high school and I was such a schmuck to her. So Mrs. Parsons, if you ever happen to watch this show, I'm sorry, 40 years later for being such a schmuck. Um, but the 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 week after I finished high school and graduated, I took a class in uh, in radio and learned everything I needed to know about being on the air in two weeks. And I still was obligated to four years of college. Um, I always say that uh, I am convinced that time travel doesn't exist 
because if it did at my high school graduation, uh, a chubby, grumpy, middle-aged man did not show up at my graduation, punch me in the face and tell me not to waste a college education on radio broadcasting. So started in radio, did did all right, worked at some major stations. It was fun. Went through a major life change, uh, a very unpleasant major life change that I'd rather not go into. Um yep. And as part of my recovery from that, a friend of mine got me involved in an improvisational theater in my hometown of St. Louis. Cause I was always, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the class clown, but I was the class comedian. There's a difference. The class clown is the guy that runs naked on the 50 yard line during the homecoming game, steals the ball while wearing a rainbow wig. Right. There's always that guy. It was guy one who's time. Be the it was one time. One I time, know. Tim. And you wore the wig. Well, I, I'm impressed. <laughs> The class comedian is the guy that talked him into doing it, right? So I there wasn't the guy who would like eat a bug for attention. I was the guy who was legit. Like I got out of more trouble with this mouth. I got out of more trouble because I was clever and funny. And so I started doing, I started taking the basics of improv. I remember the the early days of, of Saturday Night Live. I'm like, dad, where did these, I was watching it with my dad. I'm like, how did these people get on? Well, they go to Second City, Tim. What's that? That's well, a school where you learn to be funny. And I went, what? A, a school where you can learn to be funny? The, there's no way Sister Mary Margaret would let me be funny in school. So I was <laughs> fascinated by this, right? Studied about it. Um, read a lot about uh, Belushi and Aykroyd and and what Second City was all about. So when my buddy uh, introduced me to this theater, he's like, we had to go down and audition. And we we both auditioned. We both made it. And it was there that I learned the Second City style of improv. It was not a Second City theater, but my directors were direct graduates who worked with Del Close uh, in Second City. And because I was going through so much pain at that time, my ability to laugh and lose myself in the performance was great. And it was a crash course in <laughs> theater. Left my hometown, went to L.A. I was doing uh, stand-up and improv simultaneously. Went to L.A., worked at the Comedy Store, worked at the Improv, worked with Chris Rock, Eliza Schlesinger, Louis C.K. before he was, uh, you know, persona non grata, um, Jim Norton, all kinds of, of A-lister comedians, but also studied at the Groundlings, studied at the Upright Citizens Brigade, became the actor that I needed to be. And one day at a party, this director goes hey you know you got this voice and you do a bunch of stuff and you're wacky you should get into voice acting and so voila just sweezy see um and uh, i took all of the all of the acting all the improvisation like i never studied meisner until i was in voice acting i never studied uda hagen until i was in uh in voice acting my bride however the lovely and talented mrs powers uh, has an MFA in theater from Brooklyn College. She is a classically trained Shakespearean actor, and her uh, acting professor won an Oscar for Amadeus. <laughs> F. Murray Abram, right? So our dinner table conversation has historically been theater and acting, and I kind of just absorbed it from there. Um, and as I as I started to book work in uh, voiceover, I really got the um, I really got how much theater it is and how little it has to do with the voice, right? One of the things that, uh, that I've trademarked saying, if you've, uh, Jason Lettingham put this in his book, um, I say a good voice no more makes you a voice actor than a Fender Stratocaster makes you Eric Clapton, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, like I get, I get emails like once a week from somebody going, I got a golden voice. I'm like, really good for you. Thank hey. God somebody <laughs> in this industry has a good voice. God, we yeah. were waiting for you. Oh, like uh, we all have good voices for something. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and so um, so after so with several years under my belt and the pandemic, I'm like, oh, crap, how am I going to make money now that the business is drying up? I don't know what I'm doing. Started coaching. And there's like during the, the early days of the pandemic, you guys remember this, there was just this onslaught of people like make money. I know I'll buy a $400 microphone and make a million dollars from my closet, which by the way, for those of you thinking you can do that, you can't, uh, right Wait, off the bat. But there's a man with a beard who says I can. Okay. Well, if he's got a beard, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. if he's got a beard. <laughs> none of us Legit. have beards, by the way, in this room, none of us have beards to the best of my no. knowledge. To the best of my knowledge, none of us have beards. I, I, I know I don't. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I was Santa Claus this morning, by the way. I went. Uh, I, I, 
I got hired to play Santa Claus at a school for special needs kids and went in and oh. did the whole thing. And oh, I was adorable, but I took my That's beard adorable. off when I got home. Okay. Um, okay. Anyway, so, so I started coaching and so many people came into this industry thinking you needed just a microphone and a golden voice and you could be Mel Blank. And, yeah. um, you know, we run into that all the time. People are like, how do I pronounce this word? I'm so upset about this word. And everybody's dealing with perfectionism. And it was, and so many of my students who are very talented actors, by the way, a lot of them, you guys know, folks that I helped launch. Um, they were so hellbent on A plus B equals C, getting it, getting it absolutely right. And I thought, you know what these people need is to be present in the moment that improv provides because they're just so locked into their box and their performance. And so I took the most basic, basic day one improv games that I could come up with and opened up a Zoom channel. And I'm like, let's try this and let's see if we can get to play, play these games on Zoom. And so three years later, it has transformed so many actors um and and gotten them into the concept of of theater rather than reading with style um and the on the rare occasions that i've been able to do it live it's been absolutely magic right and were you uh did you were you in on no doubt. yeah right at, at wovocon in orlando in may no, I, I think I was actually, because everything was so stacked. I think I was actually teaching you were in my the next class. Room. Yeah, yeah. Yep. you were. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like people who had never done improv in their lives were like, I don't know what I'm going to get into. Let's do it. Right. And by the time they left, like they were just laughing hysterically to yeah. right to the to the point where the photographers, the guys that they hired to, uh, yes. to photograph. Right. They were like, you know, we were going to leave, but you have another session and it was hilarious. And we're going to hang out for the for this next session. And, and it was just fun. Right. It gets you out of your head, gets you thinking, gets you present in the moment. And as I tell everybody and as you guys tell all the all the fledgling actors, it's more important to be natural than perfect. Yep. Right. And uh, like one of the tenets of improvisation is that honesty and truth in your performance lends itself to great theater. The more authentic, you know, like George Burns said, the key to show business is authenticity. And once you can fake that, you got it made. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So so there you go. Let's let's jump into let's uh, this is perfect. So let's jump into the definition of improv. And when most people think of improv, they think of two things. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. and I gotta be funny. Uh, and you're half right. Yeah. Half right. So tell us a little bit about your definition of improv for folks and not necessarily just on voiceover and acting. We'll get to and on camera or theater, but like, let's just kind of talk about in theory, what are we doing with it? All right. Let me get my, my theory of improv, right? (laughs) Um, it is um, spontaneous theater created without script, without preconception. Uh, it is a collaborative effort. In mm-hmm. improv, you do not drive bus, bus drive you, right? Um, and it's um, the, the theory is to create something that has never happened before, will probably never happen again and is an organic result of all the people who are contributing therein being present in the moment. You said I have to be present. funny. Being present in the moment, right? Because you can't uh you can't plan ahead. You have no idea. If I'm working with my friend Frank and we're, you know, all of a sudden we're two demons in hell arguing over what's what we're going to watch on television, which is a suggestion I've gotten on stage. Um <laughs> we I have no idea where he's going to go and I need to be present in that moment and I need to be reactive, right? One of the, like the old, the old saying is acting is reacting, right? A a good director will go, what are you reacting to in this scene? Yeah. You need to listen, listen longer, see what's happening, body language. Absolutely. Right. I mean, believe it or not, one of the best lessons I ever learned was to shut up and listen exactly. to the information that that is given. That's the that's the yes part. Right. You you're given basic information and you agree to it. That's the yes part, the agreement. Yeah. Right. And means your contribution to that. And you continue to add to that. Does it have to be funny? No, but it usually is. Is it on you to be funny? 
No, it's not. It is the circumstance. Um, one of the most brilliant uh, silent movie comedians, Buster Keaton, used to say comedy is a man in trouble. Right. And the comedy that comes from improvisation is not set up and punchline. That's stand up. And they are two completely yeah. different muscles. The comedy that comes from improv is the recognition of the human condition, which is why theater is so important. It's why Shakespeare has endured for 500 years. It's why ancient Greek theater has, you know, has uh, survived for centuries because the human condition is the human condition. Everyone has been betrayed. Everyone has been heartbroken. Everybody has been happy. Everybody has been depressed. Everybody has been, you know, uh, <laughs> Oedipal. I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> we haven't. Um, but you know what I mean? It's, it's that human condition that is there. And those, those basic human emotions resonate with people, mad, sad, glad, scared. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's it. it. It's, it's not all emotion are just funny. Like you said, it's not landing the punchline. It, it, there's, there's so much more depth and opportunity, uh, um, right. when it comes to improv. The, the funniest things I've ever seen on an improv stage come straight from the gut and the reaction to, whatever whatever stimulus you get from the audience and then watching smart people figure out how to deal with that problem you know yeah um yeah. and uh, ab why don't you jump in with your question really quick with your comment um i it when you were talking about being reactive it made me think um we were doing our vo workout this week with uh, mm -hmm. some besties and um the reminder that we have to think about a scenario in our head and react to it in voiceover is so important. And it seems like that might be why taking improv classes can really help us because we don't get the luxury of actually physically talking to someone and responding to them. We have to imagine that part. That part mm -hmm. has to pop into our head. And so perhaps practicing responding to people could maybe give people a better ability to be reactive in their voiceovers rather than just talking at their microphone. Can you speak you're, to that? You're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, the, the concept, let's get back Meisner, right? Meisner's definition of acting is behaving in a truthful manner under imagined circumstances. And the more granular you imagine those circumstances, the better your performance will be. We don't have sets, props, costumes, and other actors to deal with. So it all exists in our head, in our little room. But when you watch Marlon Brando and Carl Malden argue on the docks, they're not having an organic conversation. That damn thing is scripted, right? But both of those men, who are brilliant, by the way, in what they do, are present in that moment, present mm -hmm. in that scene. Now, we don't, if I'm Marlon Brando and I'm in voice acting, I don't have Carl Malden. I don't have the sets. I don't have the directors. All I got is me. So when I'm talking about tires, I need to figure out why I'm talking to my dad about tires. I need to talk about how my dad feels about the fact that it's another $200 that he didn't want to spend per tire, you know, and you just, dad, come on, it's safety. I mean, you and mom are driving around on this. And I have to come up with some sort of perspective because otherwise you are just reading and every casting director you will ever uh, talk to can tell when you are reading and nobody's going to pay you $8,000 to read a script. That's why I bristle when people call themselves voiceover artists. I, I don't like that title. When people call themselves voiceover artists, we are voice actors, small V capital a, we are actors who use our voice artists work at subway, right? Nobody calls Tom Hanks, a movie artist. We're, <laughs> you know, Nobody's like, now the award for the best movie artist, Meryl Streep. No, it never happens. We are we are part of that tradition. And if you approach this thinking, well, how am I going to read this script? You know, uh, then you're already off on the wrong foot. Yeah. How am I going to perform this script? Right. I've heard uh, Marilyn Wisner says she auditions for, for sake of argument, in my case, 80 to 100 middle-aged white midwestern guys there are literally thousands of us in this industry and so she puts something out and she hears 80 guys who sound just like me and are the same as me on paper who does she pick and what she says is she picks the one that sounds the most connected and there is nothing more intimate than well there are a few things but there's nothing more intimate on stage that one can do legally 
uh, than creating an improv scene. You know, I've sat across a table on an improv stage with uh, a woman friend of mine and she goes and, and the scene opens and we like, I don't know where it's going. And she looks at me, she goes, I met someone. And we could go anywhere from there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the sky's the limit. And it ended up um, ended up being a very sweet scene. It wasn't really funny. But it was just it was it was two people who realized that their relationship had fallen apart. And they cared enough about each other to be honest with each other and just let each other go. And it wasn't funny, but it was sincere. It was real. It was honest. And that's the kind of stuff that resonates in your performance, even when you're talking about, you know, peanut butter or whatever commercial you're doing, you know, with this voice, I get a lot of Daytona Speedway kind of stuff. And I still need to sound connected because every nerd in the world is going to go, Sunday, you got to be there. Right. Because it's all about. So let's. So Joe Morgan Q uh, from our comments, he asked, how did how did the principles of being natural and authentic apply when you're creating characters for animation video games like they're nothing like yourself? How do you how do you find a way to bring your authenticity into a character because there is fundamentally no difference between a character in a cartoon and a character in a video game and a character in a shakespeare play and a character in a chef in a in a uh chekhov play or uh, or whatever you are creating that character exists in his or her own reality figure out what that reality is chris evans is not really a world war ii veteran who spent 70 years in an iceberg but we bought that performance because he acts true to who that is. It's not Chris Evans. Chris Evans can walk down the street and be a schmuck for all I care. But when he's wearing the when he's wearing the mat, the shield, he's he's Captain America. You know, mm-hmm. um, the character is not you, Tom Hanks. I can I can think of ten different characters that Tom Hanks has played. None of them are the man Tom Hanks. They have a little bit of Tom in them, right? Maybe, but. I mean, the the reason that he is so well awarded is because he is present in the reality of whatever character he plays. Will Smith does the same thing. There's a little bit of will in everything. Think about James Bond, right? The what, 10 actors, 12 actors have played James Bond, right? Each one of them is identifiable as James Bond, but each one has a little bit of that actor in him. Right? Sean Connery's Bond is different than Roger Moore's Bond is different than Daniel Craig's Bond. All of them play it a little bit differently. None of them really play it wrong. Right. So so your character, to answer your question, Joe, whatever your character is, exists in its own reality. Bart Simpson exists in this weird reality. You know, King Oberon in Final Fantasy exists in the reality of whatever it is. And your job as an actor is to behave as that character in its own reality. Start thinking about who that person is, what's important to him. Ask him, you know, uh, what did, what did he, what's he feel like? What, what'd you have for breakfast? What'd you do right before you opened your mouth? What led up to the moment that you're having right here? Create those scenes. That's the beauty of improv because when you have, you have five seconds to create that on stage. Right. Right. Okay. You're a fireman. Great. Now all of a sudden I know the backstory. I, I like, I create a little backstory and, and in improv, it trains you to come up with that just so quickly. So before I turn this over to AB, she's got some questions for you. One of the things about you is. Uh Oh, (laughs) well, I know it's a good thing. I'm trying to to come up with the right word, but one, you're articulate, but you are, you speak with life experience. You speak with kind of a worldliness. I mean, are you a big reader are you engaged a lot in television? Because I, to me, I find those things really can impact how you approach things. Because if you're trying, even when you're talking about characters, if you're not someone maybe who reads fantasy, you might not be able to really get into what a fantasy character might be. Like you wouldn't have that exposure. Let me put it that way. Or do you play video games and understand how video game characters are and 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 again those different realities are you current on current affairs especially like when it comes to improv can you you know be quick and i feel like being well read and kind of versed and and traveling can really support your ability to do that well 
I am an avid reader. Uh, okay. read a lot of news, a lot of books, uh, a lot of nonfiction. I have been, uh, I always say I've been part of the Marvel universe since 1975. You know, like I started reading comics at, like as soon as I could read. And if you think about video games, the archetype characters in video games are the same archetype characters that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby created in 1961. Um, you know, you got your heroes, you've got your anti-heroes, you've got your you've got your crazy villains, you've got there's there's a certain number of archetypes in each video game and they just kind of get reinvented. Captain America and Captain Kirk are kind of the same guy. Right. Uh, Darth Vader and Dr. Doom are kind of the same guy. There's there's archetypes. And if you can understand those archetypes, then it gives you a little shorthand to create who mm -hmm. those characters are. Right. And those characters exist in just about every form of uh, of literary fiction. Um, so, you know, I, I try to read a lot. Am I a video game player? No, actually, I'm not. I came of age during the Space Invaders and Pac-Man era right and i had the atari yeah. 2600 and i went this is boring and so i just put those games aside and then all of a sudden the nintendo thing happened and i was already an adult at that time and and didn't have time so i'm i'm honestly not playing games but i understand the archetypes and the characters and i when i get a video game audition I consider it no different than auditioning for a stage role or a movie role. Who is my character? Why are they saying these wild ass lines? You know, why does, why does my character in Final Fantasy, why is he so loyal to the king? And I have to think about that kind of stuff. Acting is acting is acting and a character is a character is a character. Um, if you're not reading fantasy, my guess is you're probably watching television. My guess is you're probably have a Netflix subscription and you watch people act all the time. Well, guess what those people are doing? Same thing you're doing, except they have a camera in front of them. That's the only difference, man. That's it. Your job is an actor. Again, voice actor, small V, capital A. I am not a member of the Screen Actors, uh, Screen Readers Guild. <laughs> you know, ain't nobody going to pay me to read. Anybody can read. Yep. The, the the thing that AI can't do is act, folks. If you're afraid AI is breathing down your neck, then learn how to act because AI can read. Yep, very this well. That's true. Well, I'm going to do our commercial. <laughs> what do we call it? Our, we'll just take a minute for our little spot to recognize Studio Bricks. I had a friend come over this week. His kids are home and noisy, and he wanted to test out my studio bricks and see whether it would be a good fit for him because I rave about how nice it is that I can have my kids sitting here in the room. Now they can't be doing like wrestling practice or something right there next to me, but they can sit and be talking and having a conversation and I can still get work done. And I love the flexibility that it gives me. I'm lucky to have mine outside in a little building, but that means I got to deal with lawnmowers and leaf blowers. And this time of year, I don't even know what machines my neighbor's using, but he's always using something. So Studio Bricks gives you the freedom to be able to perform whenever with no restrictions. And that's a beautiful thing. So I want to get into something you were talking about further back when we when we first started, because it's kind of popping up in the comments. And um, you said something that reminded me. I literally made a TikTok video today and I said, um, perfection is the enemy of done, right? Perfect is the enemy of done. And I said, perfect is also the enemy of authenticity. And when we're voice acting, if we're looking for perfection in our reads, we're never going to, we're never going to be authentic and be able to get to that point where we can be comfortable. So I feel like improv helps lead us to a place of vulnerability to allow mm -hmm. us to not feel like we have to be perfect. So what advice do you have for our listeners to help them move past that block? Because like you said, that's the thing that separated, that's one big thing that's separating us from being robots. Like yeah. the pausing, the stumbling, the and not intentional choices, but just letting it happen. How do you, how do you get there? Quit caring. Uh, and not quit caring about the craft of what you do, but quit caring about trying to read the producer's mind because you can't do it, right? When you say, I'm looking for something perfect, whose definition of perfect are you using? Are you using yours? Are you using your grandmother's? Are you using 
your fourth grade teacher? Are you using the casting directors? And if so, how the hell do you know what it is? Right. So, A.B., you you have you have a couple of kids. Right. If I ask you to tell me the story of boy, if, if, <laughs> if I ask you to tell me the story of the first time you gave birth, you are going to tell me that story with all you're going to inflect. You're going to pause. You're going to tell me that story as if it were happening in that moment, because that is just in your um, you're you're going to feel it in your central right. nervous system. And you're not even going to think about where to pause. We need that level of authenticity in our performance. Because, mm. you know, it, I could tell you the story about how I met my wife, right? Changed one day, changed my entire life. I remember looking her in the eye and thinking, I either need to run or this woman is going to change the course of my life. Oh, I mean, just bam, just like that. And I knew it. And we've been together 15 years. And I could tell you that story. Because And it resonates in my central nervous system. Now, why is your central nervous system important? There is a psychologically tested belief that the central nervous system is unable to distinguish between what is real and what is vividly imagined, which is why theater works in the first place. It's why movies work. You're not really being chased through the forest by a guy in a hockey mask. You are at the mall, but your pulse quickens. And you are behaving in a truthful manner under completely imagined circumstances, and you're not even acting. If I ask you about the last time you were in a bar fight, you're going to feel it. Your pulse is going to quicken. You know, the whatever, the, the, the time you gave birth, the time, you, the first time you kissed somebody, the right, all these things in your life exist within your central nervous system. Well, so does the capacity to feel what your character is supposed to feel in this script. And if your character is not defined and you're not playing a video game character and you're, you know, a dad talking about why you should get your oil changed at Valvoline TM find it's, it's a cliche that actors go, what's my motivation, but find it please. Otherwise you're just reading the guy who is the voice of McDonald's, right? I don't, I don't remember the man's name, but the guy who's like, the egg McMuffin, a toasted English muffin and a poached egg, right? That cat, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but he's a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. He's an actor paid for by McDonald's that doesn't pay five cents more than it has to for anything, especially labor, right? They're paying this guy enough to buy a house in Malibu because their entire enterprise depends on him connecting with the audience. If That's it what it's wasn't really about. if it wasn't that important, they would get the fry cook from El Segundo, right. Brad, who's yep. 15 years old, and give him like an afternoon off or a Sunday gift certificate just to go. Today we got Big Macs for 39. <laughs> right? What I mean, they need him to connect. What our job in commercial? Oh, so many times in coaching, I have students who are like, "Well, I don't want to sell anything." Good. Your job's not to sell the product. The script's job is to sell the product. Your job is to put a human face on an otherwise cold, heartless uh, company. Oh, if you live Love in a it. small market, local commercials are the worst because the you know it's it's usually the owner going. When you need heating and air conditioning, call Tim Powers Heating and Air Conditioning because we do heating and air conditioning. And you're like, okay, obviously this guy knows more Noted. about heating and air conditioning than he knows about being on TV, right? Because uh, I just recently moved into a small market, and the 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 folks are like, oh my, he he sounds authentic. Oh my god, like I I was on set for something and ended up directing the commercial. Uh, you sound like me. <laughs> yeah, I ended up directing, and the guy's like, "Oh, oh, that was oh, that was fantastic, Tim." All right, because I got I got non actors to act by using the improvisational uh, concepts. Where are you? What what's going on? Right. I always tell my students to build a scene so thoroughly you can smell it. If you're talking to your grandma, I want to smell forty five years of fried fish and her Benson and Hedges and her her Better Homes and Gardens magazines. Right. I want to hear a wheel of fortune in the background. I love it. You know, if you're talking to a new mom, new moms have a very earthy smell. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, like, covered in spit like, up. Yeah. Right. You and you and you need to be just that present. My dad has been dead for three years and I talk to him every day. 
because I get to. That's the beauty of this job. And when I'm there, I'm with him. I can see his green eyes. You know, I can smell that that faint smell of Salem cigarettes. You know, I can kind of hear him going, I don't know what I'm going to do, Tim. Well, yeah, let's talk it out like we always did. Blah, 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 blah. And there it is. Yeah. Right. It's that connection because uh, everybody can read. I love that. I think that is the key. The The connection is is the key. And so can you tell us, not everybody's going to have the opportunity to participate in an improv class. You know, maybe oh, yes, they can. Maybe they can join to improv <laughs> and that would be great. But, you know, there's a there's barriers for everybody, right? So let's say somebody hasn't taken an improv class. What kind of advice do you have? I'm hearing already you know, picture where you are, even feel the, you know, know the smells, know who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, what about when people are like, I'm super logic based. It's it's harder for me to get into emotions. What are some ways that people can warm up their emotions? Like you might warm up your voice. Uh, interact with people. Amy, you've raised what, like 40 kids right now, right? And 42. 42, 42 kids. <laughs> I keep, uh, I keep forgetting about the last yeah. one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Um, but like motherhood, fatherhood, in my experience, is, especially with, uh, preschoolers is all about improv. You can't logically argue with a four-year-old why your sandwich is cut in triangles and not squares, right? And they will lose their mind and you have to be reactive in that moment, right? Leave the house, what we do is so relationship based. If you're like, I'm an introvert and I don't like to talk to people. Well, then guess what? Your job is to talk to people. <laughs> and if you I don't like it. to talk to people, find people that you like to talk to. My so guess get is get out of the house and no, well, no one lives in a vacuum, right? Even when I, when, you know, when a single guy in Los Angeles spent a lot of time in my apartment, but you know what? I still went out and like went to CVS. <laughs> you know, I, I still walked, I left the house and went to the library. I still interacted with people. Pay attention to how you interact with the people in your life. No one got to be 35 years old and never had a conversation with another human being. May have gone wrong. You may have been the quiet kid in high school and never talked to anybody. But guess what? You talk to people. You know, I have a couple of students, I call them bunker babies. Because they like, I was homeschooled and I never watched television and I don't know who Fonzie is and stuff like that. But you know what? You had a community. Mm -hmm. There were people in your universe. You were not just like, they didn't cut the umbilical cord and put you in the forest. Maybe. There are people just in your kidding. life. Right. And then so draw when you draw on the experiences with the people you interact with, regardless of who or where they are. Right. And then alter alternately, and when you are consuming the entertainment medium that the average person consumes for three freaking hours a day, watch the interaction between those people, right? AB, you, you said you're very logic minded, right? And so when I'm coaching folks like that, if they are of uh, the right age and generation, I say, you know what? I appreciate that, but give me more Kirk and less Spock. Love it. Right? Because if you approach a script like, like Spock, everything's logical. Well, why, why do you call this man curly if he has no hair, right? But if you're a Star Trek dork, <laughs> what made Kirk successful was his ability to be reactive in that moment. He needed Spock to keep him logic, keep him grounded, keep him um, rooted in reality. But balance that with shoot from the hip. And yeah. the great, the great pairs in theater, in drama, in literature, had that kind of dynamic, right? And it sounds like there's a lot of throw out the formula too. Quit looking. I, I have this thing where I always want there to be a formula. You know, if I do X, Y, and Z, I'll be successful, right? You, you can't do that here. You have to throw out the formula. How, how, how did that work as a, as a mom, right? You can't raise one kid the same way you raise another, the same way you raise another. I grew up in a in a family, a large family, right? And I was near the end. Okay. So <laughs> I got completely different experiences. And as we sat around and talked about how we were raised by the same people, it was a very different experience for each one. Every script you do is completely different. There are 
there are guidelines just to keep you from going completely off the rails, right? The concept of yes and exists in improvisation so that you can agree because the opposite of yes and is no but. And if you're in a scene and you know but, there's nowhere for you to go. My wife comes home and says, Tim, this weekend we're going to see my mother. Yes and I'm bringing a good book. We've got somewhere to go with that. If I say no, but you have a good time, we have nowhere to go. Yeah, that's right. And it's and it's trouble. Definitely. It, right. <laughs> it's really bad when I do that. So the the concept of yes and when it when it really gets into you and into your life experience will change your life. Because so many new actors are like, oh, I don't know if I could do production. I don't know if I could do all this. Somebody asked me if I could produce the whole radio commercial for three hundred more dollars, and I don't know. Say yes, and then figure it out. Okay, well, I'm in a transition here. Okay. I think we could talk about that all day. But are there going to be some genres of VO and maybe some scripts where improv is not appropriate? Or is there always a way to improv a little bit, but maybe it's not through words and changing words. It's through other things. Like, what are what are your thoughts on, on that? Because we have had some casting directors who say, don't improv. I never want you to change the words at all. Oh, I, when I am, when I am, uh, cre- when I'm voice acting, I'm not changing the words. They paid somebody to write that script. I might inflect. I might, <clears throat> right? Dude, don't change the words in the script. They, you don't know who wrote that script, right? It could be your client's girlfriend, right? And if you come in and go, well, I could write better than this, or you know, these aren't the words I would say. If if you're an actor who says these aren't the words I would say, get out of acting. My wife, I've been with her 15 years. She classically trained in Shakespeare and she's never once spoken an iambic pentameter to me. We say the words that we are hired to say and to go, well, these aren't my words. Well, guess what? They're my words and I'll gladly take the money. You find a way, right? So it, in so don't improv with the script itself, but absolutely throw in a chuckle, throw in a huh, throw in a little something that makes it human. I'm not saying throw the whole thing out. I'm saying be present in the scene and what improv does better, in my opinion, better than a formal theater training is it helps you create an entire universe because when you're training in improv and the coach goes, all right, you guys work at the gap and there's a dinosaur loose. You have five seconds to figure out how you're going to react when you're in the gap and a dinosaur is loose and you're like, we got to get these sweaters folded or Margaret's going to be on us. You know, you you just, it, it fires those synapses super, super fast to answer your question. Where does improv come in? In everything. I've done the most boring um, medical narrations about how important it is to take your medicine when you have eosinophilic esophagitis. It's boring, right? But I had to create a scenario where I'm talking to someone with a perspective. Otherwise, I'm just reading the words and I have to say, hey, listen, it like started out lead in lines. Oh my God. Improv is the greatest source of lead in lines, right? Um, Kalel Bogdanov, a mentor and dear friend of mine and a director, video game director says a good voice actor is like an airplane. He needs a runway before he takes off. And so if I'm about to talk about the importance of medication for uh, eosinophilic esophagitis, I'm thinking about who I'm talking to. And I go, you know what, Margaret? I mean, I know this is a drag, but you got to take care of yourself. Otherwise you're going to die. In fact, and then I go right into the script because you're already present in the scene before the first letter of the script, right? It drives me nuts when I'm working with uh, actors who should know better. And I'm like, okay, the first line is, where do you go when you want tires? And they go, great. Where do you go when you want tires? Back up. You would not walk on stage without your costume. If I'm Alexander Hamilton and I walk out in my, you know, W-R-T-H t-shirt and a pair of jeans. No one's taking me seriously. A lead in line is like putting on your costume. It's getting present in the scene. I feel a lot more like Alexander Hamilton if I'm looking at the sisters and I see the set around me. I don't have that luxury. So I have to go, Dad, it's going to be okay. Sit down. Mom and I are going to take care of you. But while we're going through this, let me tell you that when you need chicken delivered to your house, El Pollo Loco, blah, 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 blah. 
Everybody's going to read the same words, man. The only thing that, that makes me stand apart from anybody else is the Tim Powersness that I bring to the table. And if you don't know what your Tim Powersness is, figure it out. Because otherwise you sound like everybody else. You're super Tim Powers. Go on. <laughs> so we have a question from Genevieve. She asked, are there any improv books that you recommend that have exercises to practice? Oh, there are tons of books uh, available on improv that that have they're just exercises one right after the other. And they explain them like books, like 101 improv games. Right. And they're very, very simple. If you want to get into the, the theory of improv, which I recommend doing, um, learning how to do improv out of a book is kind of similar to learning how you make babies out of a book. Yeah, you can you can like you get the concept, but until you actually do it, doesn't really sink in. Having said that, Truth and Comedy by Sharna Halpern is indispensable. Uh, Sharna Halpern and Del Close. Del was one of the original members of Second City. He was uh, he directed a couple seasons of Saturday Night Live. He uh, is responsible for Belushi and Aykroyd and Gilda and the cast of SCTV and is one of the three most important people in American comedy history period ever. The other being Harvey Kurtzman, the editor of Mad Magazine and Lenny Bruce there. Um, there's also a book called Impro, I-M-P-R-O, by a British fellow named Keith Johnstone, who just passed away about a year ago. Uh, and it is it is a great book to give you an overview, a 50,000-foot view of what's involved in uh, improv. Truth and comedy is more about authenticity and the concept of truth. Uh, there's also a documentary about Dell uh, making the rounds right now called In the Company of Mad Men. Uh, and you get to see actual footage of Del Close um, pontificating on the importance of truth. And he was, Del was insane. Del was crazy. When Del died, he left his skull to the University of Chicago Theater Department so he could always play Yorick. That's how crazy he is. But he was dedicated to truth. And when he was about to die, I think he and Bill Murray were having conversations. And uh, Bill said, how do you know? That you're ready to go. He said, I'm tired of being the funniest guy in the room. So there you go. Yes, those two books, Keith Johnstone's Impro and uh, and Truth and Comedy. Uh, and Truth and Comedy is one of those books that you should probably go back to five or six times as you evolve through the concept of improvisation because things become, uh, they make more and more sense. They have more and more relevance the more you experience the best thing you can do is find an improv theater in your community. And in my experience, anywhere there's at least 20,000 people in your community, there's an improv theater somewhere. If there's a college in your community, there's an improv theater. There's somebody teaching improv somewhere. There you go. All right. So I've never done improv. I mean, well, no, that's not true. Living with my husband is like constant improv. But <laughs> living with anybody's husband is constant improv. The reason my marriage has survived f 15 years is because we are constantly yes anding each other constantly. Yeah. Yeah. But if I were to step on a stage, I'd be a little, little freaked out. So what do yeah. you do to get somebody like me to just go out there and, and do the thing? You train for weeks before you set foot on stage. You take a you take a one on one class. Every theater has an uh, a training program where you come in and you play very basic games to get you used to your synapses firing that way. You don't just sign up and they go great. You're on stage Friday at seven. Let's go. There's <laughs> there's theory behind it, um, and you need to learn that theory. The the yes and is the tip of a very deep iceberg for uh improvisation but once you get it it starts to make more sense um improv 101 classes um like one of the most basic exercises i i, I have people do is i'm like grab here we'll do improv right now jen grab something off your desk right now show me what it is all right you got you got those in your hand right now jt you got those things in your in your hand right now uh nj uh -huh. you, you got that okay now that item is not what it appears to be it actually serves a purpose and that purpose is to help silence the leaf blowers in my neighborhood tell me how the item in your hand 
will help silence the leaf blowers in my neighborhood so I can get my work done. Well, I think if you put them on your face, yes, you know how one sense always takes over? Yep. When you can see better, you don't hear the leaf blower as much, right? So you can just focus on your script and not on the leaf blower. Voila. Guess what you just did? You you completely made that up and you committed to the reality that it created. Is Was the science accurate? No, of course not. But it was based on some sort of truth that you know. Like if you lose one sense, another one is heightened. Everybody knows that, right? Uh, and somewhere in the back of your mind was that intelligence. And uh, you you committed and you yes-anded that. Instead of going, I don't know. They're just a pair of reading glasses. I bought at Target for $7. How, how would this work? What did no, you just went, okay. Boom, here it is. And you solved the problem for me. Great. That's that's a very basic improv exercise. So you can no longer say you've never done improv because guess what you just did. Okay. Now, you mentioned that you've lived in several places. You've been in L.A. and you've been in the small town. Yeah. Have you found that where you live has had an impact on your career? <sighs> yeah, I spent 25 years in Los Angeles uh, pre-pandemic. And I was I was definitely in the right place at the right time. Um, now, less so, because uh, there's so much that's virtual right now. And there's a theater community in just about every every community in the world. And if you um, like what a lot of people shy away from in small town community theater is how clicky it is. But if you actually practice improvisation and you just go along and get along. One of the things improv does is it teaches you to check your ego. You're not the most important person in the room. You're not the person. You're not the most important person in the scene. You're not even the most important person there. We're all working together to create something. And if you're a bulldozer, you find yourself uh, without a cast. Yeah. You know, so if like anywhere you go, just show up, be agreeable and uh it's like a directed session just show up and be coachable and do what you're supposed to do and stop going you know what i got a better idea yeah that never flies that never flies no no um one more question from the audience before we wrap things up marie hoffman wants to know is there a difference between an improv class and an intro to acting class yes uh, an imp- an intro to acting class is going to teach you about script analysis. It's going to teach you about stage turns. It's going to teach you about hitting your mark in improv. There are no marks. You're making it up as you go. The, the blocking and the, and the scripting and everything. Um, what, what an acting, what an intro to acting class is going to teach you to do is work with a script. What improv will do is, is teach you how to be present in the scene that you need to create in order to act in that acting class. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. And where can people find you to be able to learn Timprov? You want to find out what I'm all about? Go to Timprov.net. Some jerk has Timprov.com and isn't doing anything with it. But <laughs> so Timprov.net, uh, I do, I do a workshop uh, every Tuesday night, uh, at nine o'clock Eastern. And I have room for 10 people because that seems to be the most manageable size. And I do very, very basic uh, improvisational games where you just kind of show up and and I kind of knock you out of your comfort zone, not to the point to be painful, but just to show that your instinct is smart. You know what to do and and, and kind of get you thinking. And I do it very gradually. And by the time we're done, you're playing characters. Uh, and I do all that in about 90 minutes. It's really, it's really remarkable. Um, my own website is, uh, is voiceofpowers.com. Uh, if you, for whatever reason, want to hear my demos or learn more about me or, or engage with me, my email address is there. And I, I welcome you to, uh, appropriately engage with me if you want to learn more about, uh, what I do or follow up with, uh, direct questions. Um, if you're in a community and there's five different improv theaters, tell me what they are and we'll look and see which one might be the best fit for somebody who is brand new. And I will make sure that both of those are in the notes in the podcast when we publish that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I just had a comment. It was so in the, in the comments, they said, um, 
this has been a great episode, like button smashed. I think that means it was good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So I'm I'm shocked we've already made it to an hour. I I was like, what? I I thought we still had more time. So thank you, Tim, for joining us again. It was amazing. My uh, pleasure. But... I am huge fans of the besties. I oh. I just I love what you guys are doing, and I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. So, um, we love to ask three just for fun questions. So, what show or series are you binge watching right now? <laughs> um, besides Star the... Trek, apparently. No, 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 no. Honest, honest, honest truth. The Andy Griffith Show. Oh, uh, because it's 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 on broadcast TV right about the time that I have some free time and I just need to sit back and relax. And it is by and large um, uh, eye candy. Right. It's like there's there's no there's no uh, there's no real sociopolitical commentary going on. It's like, oh, uh, Gober grew a beard. What are we going to do? Right. And that like that's the biggest problem. Uh, and I love it, but the, the scripting and the theater and the, and the acting is actually, if you think about it, it's actually very good. And you get to see one of the greatest directors of all time as a little boy learning his acting chops, right? Ronnie Howard is little Opie and Ron Howard is one of the greatest directors of all time. The, the writers on that show went on to create um, amazing things and you see little character you see cameos by people who later became famous dennis hopper shows up in mayberry at some time and it's fascinating so there you go andy griffith show i have a special place in my heart for mayberry simply because i'm a carolina girl but um and i think that you know we use jim from the office as like the conversational guy but andy griffith like his delivery is always so just you know Cat well, is. now, it, you know, yeah. he's just one of those things. And, uh, you know, it, like, um, yeah. It's... Great study in, in authenticity, right? Yeah. yeah. So, okay, give us the scenario for your dream vacation. <laughs> July 1969. I just want to go to Woodstock. <laughs> okay, just, we didn't I just want to see the who, you know. Yeah. Maybe you're time traveling. I think it could happen. Sure. Why not? All right. Last question. If you were stuck on an elevator and there was a song on repeat, what song would not drive you crazy? What song would not drive me crazy? I am such a music snob. Uh, because, and like one of my side gigs is I still do afternoon drive at a radio station in St. Louis and I get to program my own music. So okay. I'm such a rock and roll snob. Last week, as a matter of fact, I interviewed uh, a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and a member of my favorite band of all time. So I'm going to pick one of his records, uh, and I'm going to say "Time of the Season" by the Zombies. Their single from 1968 off the Odyssey and Oracle album. If you haven't listened to the entire album, start to finish, you are doing yourself a disservice. It is one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time. It was recorded in the same room at the same time as Sgt. Pepper. Love it, love it. All right, Watch out well, Eddie Trunk. Yeah. Tim Powers <laughs> is coming for you, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What else? Also a music snob. My, oh, my husband. I do Pandora because I don't have time to make playlists. Right. That man has like 217 playlists on Spotify. Some yeah. of them like six, seven hours long and every song is placed exactly where it needs to be. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. Yep, that's <laughs> he, he. He was probably a guy like me in the in the late '90s who had like a forty disc CD changer and would spend an hour programming it to go past all the crappy tracks. Yeah, right. All yeah, right. pretty much. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us live today, Tim. Thank you everyone for being in the audience live. If you're listening to our podcast, feel free to join us live on uh, YouTube every week now, uh, Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Meanwhile, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Join the VO Booth Besties Facebook group. And if you missed a live episode, you can always catch the recording later on our website, boothbesties.com, or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. We would love it if you would hop on any platform and leave us a review because those reviews help us reach more listeners. And we are um, always trying to get that information out. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Yeah, and make sure you're signed up for our VO Booth Besties newsletter so you know what's coming in the week ahead. 
as NJ and our other Jewish Jewish besties finish celebrating Hanukkah this week. Others in our community are preparing to celebrate Christmas and other holidays, and the kids are out of school for winter break. So we've decided to enjoy that time with them as well. So we're going to take a break next week and then the week after. So this will be our last podcast for 2023. So happy holidays, everybody. And we will see you all in 2024. And we have all sorts of really great things planned. You are going to want to be on along for the ride. It can only get better than this. Thank you guys and have a great rest of the day. Thanks, ladies. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. Video Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.